Our scripture reading on this fifth Sunday in the season of Epiphany comes from chapter 1 of Mark's Gospel. As you will recall, Mark does not have a Christmas story, something we talked about in our Advent sermon series last year. Instead, it picks up with the baptism of Jesus as an adult, with his being sent out into the wilderness where he is tempted by the devil and served by angels. Immediately following his calling of the disciples, he embarks on a ministry of healing. So friends, let us listen now to this healing story from the first chapter of Mark, beginning with the 29th verse. Let us listen now for a word from God. As soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they immediately told Jesus about her. So he went to her and took her hand and helped her up, and the fever left her, and she began to wait on them. That evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him, and when they found him, they exclaimed, Everyone is looking for you. And Jesus replied, Let us go somewhere else, to the nearby villages, so that I can preach there also, for that is why I have come. So Jesus traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in the synagogues and driving out demons. Friends, this is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Today's sermon is titled, When the Fever Lifts. Let us pray. Good and gracious God, send your spirit now. Calm whatever noise there is in our minds. Give rest to whatever anxiety there is in our hearts. And heal us, O God. Heal us through the work of your Spirit. That the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts might lead us further down that path of hope. Indeed, O God, that through this meditation you would be glorified. For it is you and you alone, O God, who are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. The healing stories in the Bible are hard for us. They're hard especially because for all of those stories that we each have of of healing in our lives and in the lives of those we love, healing that sometimes we might even consider miraculous, there are also those stories 
where healings seem not to come. I mean, just this past year with COVID-19, for as many times as there are where, where people feel as if their prayers have been answered, as, as their symptoms ease or their loved one comes home from the hospital, there are also hundreds of thousands in our own nation, hundreds from our own community, millions across the globe who are wondering, what about me? Right? What do we say to them? I mean, even in this story we've just heard read, Right, right after Jesus heals Simon's mother-in-law, it says that the, the crowds form and, and they bring to him the sick and the possessed. And Jesus heals many of them. Not all of them. Many of them. What would we say to those in the crowd who weren't fortunate enough to push to the front of the line in time? What about all those other feeling uh, families rather there along the Sea of Galilee with loved ones tucked away in corner rooms waiting for Jesus to materialize and waiting and waiting and waiting. Healing stories in the Bible are hard. For us, which is perhaps why one of the things I most appreciate about this story in particular, especially the story of Simon's mother-in-law being healed, it's perhaps why the thing I most appreciate about that story is its lack of detail. Right, other than being identified as, as a relative of one of the disciples, that mother-in-law is a woman who remains nameless, as if to say it could be anyone in that room. Right, The sickness that ails her is not specified here. A fever could be anything. Even the healing itself, Jesus reaches out his hand and she takes it. There's so little detail about what exactly happens in that moment, how that healing actually comes to pass. It's as if there is ambiguity built in this story in order to direct our attention intentionally to what happens immediately after. Right? It says that she is healed, and immediately Jesus lifts her up. That language of lifting is one that will be echoed later in Jesus' life at his own lifting, his own rising up. And it says that she sets out to serve them. Now, I'm not very good with, with the languages, but I couldn't help but notice that, that the Greek here, that is used for that word that is rendered in some to serve and hear that she began to wait on them. That the Greek word here is diakonos, where we get deacon from. It's a word that in the New Testament implies something more than just setting a table and serving a meal. It instead implies some form of sacrificial service. Right? This woman 
Her life is changed from the moment of her healing forward. It's not so much in this story about who we are or, or what we are ailed with or how we are healed. The real question seems to be when we are healed. How will we respond? What will we do with this new life that we have been given? One of my favorite books that I've read over the last year, and I'm admittedly a little late to the game because I think it had been out for some time. A movie may have even been made about it by the time I read it. It's, it's the book Just Mercy by Brian Stevenson. Brian Stevenson is an attorney in Montgomery, Alabama. In the late 80s, he began an organization called the Equal Justice Initiative, where he primarily represents the poor, the wrongfully convicted, and those, in his words, who are, who are trapped in the furthest reaches of the criminal justice system in the United States. And there's a story late in the book where he remembers a Sunday when he was about 10 years old, a kid, and his mom, who raised him, a single mother, took him to church, and after church, he was doing what kids do after church. They were milling about in the front yard of the church. And one of his buddies had brought with him a close relative, a shy, skinny kid, his cousin, with him to church that Sunday. And as all the kids were talking, Stevenson notices how this, this cousin of his friend doesn't say a word. And so finally, Brian turns to this guest, this kid, and he asks him where he's from. And when the kid opens his mouth, no words come out. One of the worst speech impediments that Stevenson can ever remember coming across. This kid stutters so bad that he can't even get the name of his, his hometown out of his mouth. And Stevenson, as a child, having never encountered someone with, with a stutter like this, he thinks he must be joking, and so he begins laughing hysterically at this poor child. And he talks about in the book how after a few moments of laughing, laughing, he catches out of the corner of his eye his mother from across the yard who is looking at him. And her face registers pure, unfiltered fury. And she calls him over to her and she begins to lay into him. Don't you ever Laugh at someone who has trouble getting their words out. Mom, I'm, don't you ever, I am so ashamed at you. Brian, you will go over to that little boy and you will tell him that you are sorry. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. And then you're going to hug him. Huh? And then you're going to tell him that you love him. Brian talks about it in the book. He, he looks up at his mother in that moment. And with utter horror, he realizes that she is dead serious. So he walks back across the yard to his group of friends. And he goes up to that little, shy, skinny boy. And he says to him, uh, listen, man. I'm really sorry. And then he, he lunges at the boy and embraces him. And he startles the boy at first, but eventually the boy kind of loosely starts 
hugging him back. And as he's hugging him with, with sort of a, a half-joking smile on his face that the boy can't see because he's embracing him, but Brian wants his friends around him to know he's not actually serious about this next part. He says to the kid, and um, uh, I love you. And he says in that moment, that little boy embraces him even tighter. Then flawlessly and without hesitation whispers back to Brian in his ear, I love you too. Years later, as a grown man, Brian Stevenson thought back on that moment as he was considering quitting, quitting all of his work, this work that, that paid too little, that rewarded too little, and that took far too much of his energy and life. He had reached this moment where he was, he was thinking about quitting, and he thought back to that little boy who hugged him outside the church, that little boy who offered reconciliation and love. And he remembers how that moment taught him that even as we are all caught up in these webs of hurt and brokenness, we are also caught up in a web of healing and mercy. He writes, I didn't deserve reconciliation or love in that moment, but that's how mercy works. The power of just mercy, he says, is that it belongs to the undeserving. You see, when he walked back across that yard, he thought he was the one who was going to heal a hurt that he had caused. But in fact, it was him, undeserving though he was, who received the healing and it changed him that moment. That moment in front of that church with that little boy who hugged him back and said, I love you too. It was a moment that changed his life. That moment of undeserved mercy is what he sought to respond to the rest of his days by giving the same to others who don't deserve it. You know, I was listening to a podcast this week. It's a group of seminary professors who talk about the texts that are coming up. And, and one of the uh, professors said, you know, the gospel of Mark is the perfect gospel for our time. The gospel of Mark is the perfect gospel for our time because it connects sickness and service. Because it connects for us that 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 place between receiving God's healing mercy and responding to it. Between experiencing God's grace and sharing it. Right? Our story today, it makes both a, a proclamation and also poses a challenge. The thing that this story proclaims is simply that God, our God, is a healer. And the challenge it poses for us, the question, is how will we respond to it? Right, when the fever of this pandemic is lifted, will we retreat back into our four walls? 
Or will we continue going out into the world beyond, seeking out the lonely, the isolated, the poor, the hurting? Right, when the fever of, of prejudice and racism and bigotry, both in our hearts and in our world, finally breaks, will we be ones who invite others up to the mountaintop that they too might see that promised land out in front of us? When the fever of heartache finally comes down a few degrees, will we be willing to risk our hearts yet again in service to someone who might break them? When the fever of our fear at long last gives way to hope, and the fever of our regret and shame finally yields to self-worth, how will we respond? Will we stay in our webs of brokenness and hurt? Or will we spin a new web of God's love and mercy for others? Will we love in the way that we have been loved? Will we follow the example of a nameless woman with a nameless affliction who rises from her healing to serve? How will we respond? You know, I once had a friend who was very sick. And even when it became clear that he would not survive, that that particular fever would not be lifted, many of us, including him, continue to pray for a, a big miracle. His friends, his family, they prayed, and they prayed. And then one day, someone commented to this friend saying, I just don't know. Will our prayers actually be answered? And his response to her was to say, it's not how God answers prayer that determines our response to God. Even if I am not cured this fever with which I am afflicted, he said. God still promises my ultimate healing. Even as he was dying, he continued to respond in the ways he could. He prayed for others who were sick. He encouraged others who were struggling. And when he was too weak to do much of anything else, he, he contemplated what rest really is about. Even if I am not cured, I will be healed. You see, friends, the day will come when every earthly cure has been tried and failed for each of us. The day will come when we too will face our creator. And God being God and us being us, through our all-struckedness, we will, we will stumble through our apologies. We will stammer out our I love yous. And the promise of this story, indeed the promise of the gospel, is that when that day comes, 
we will all feel that tightening embrace. We will all hear that voice whisper words as flawless and firm as any we have ever heard before. Words of unexpected and undeserved mercy. Words that say, I love you too. Friends, our healing is already there. Now, may we go and live like it. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen.